Sing to the Almighty. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to sing to God with our very hearts poured out to him. So join me in his word. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 5 right now. And we're going to back up a few verses from what your bulletin says. We're going to start with verse 27. So listen to God's word. Jesus is still in Capernaum, his home base on the Galilee. And this is something that goes on that is huge. And it's a call to all of us. It, it says Matthew, but I think you ought to think about each of our names right there. Remember last week, if you were with us, Jesus has healed a man that had been lowered through the roof to him. And, and people looked at one another and they said, we have seen strange things here today. Meaning, this couldn't happen unless God did this. And then Luke tells us that after this, verse 27, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector. Now, you might think that a tax collector is not the most popular person in America today. Well, you ain't seen the half of it in Israel. Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up, left everything, and followed Jesus. Then Levi, another name for Levi is Matthew, gave a great banquet for Jesus in his house. And there was a large crowd of tax collectors. There must have been like the union hall. They were all there. And others sitting at the table with them. So people are seeing Jesus with a whole host of these nasty tax collectors. The Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to Jesus' disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Then they said to Jesus, John's disciples, like the disciples of the Pharisees, frequently fast and pray. But your disciples eat and drink. Jesus said to them, you cannot make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with you, can you? The days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. You see the prophecy in that. And then they will fast in those days. Jesus also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and sews it on an old garment. Otherwise, the new will be torn and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins and will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new wine, but says, the old is good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May God explain this word to us, and not just explain it, but apply it to our hearts so that through the power of his Holy Spirit, we do not just understand it with our heads, but live into it with our hearts for God's glory. Let's pray.
Father, as we come today, we come as people who know that we've been called by you. We're here at your request and invitation, and we pray that your word would be a banquet to us, that it would nourish us for your glory. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be truly acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our our rock and you are our salvation. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. got to looking at this and I got to thinking about Jesus saying these things and I got to realizing as I so often do this is the most authenticated person of ancient history the world knows if they really pay attention that there really was a Jesus and not just a Jesus this Jesus and the brilliance here it is The reason why we know this obscure Galilean carpenter 2,000 years later, the reason that this is 2016 is seen in the brilliance of Jesus here and his ability to zero in on what is needed to be made right. What is needed to put everything in order. It's powerful. Listen. He sees Matthew, Levi, a Jew, a member of the body, a member of the family who has been, quite honestly, ripping off his own people. That's what the tax collectors did. They charged a commission on top of it all to their own people. He sees this man trapped in a lifestyle that has made an idol of money and has made an idol of going along with culture and being part of the establishment. And that was happening a lot in Israel. And what does Jesus say to him? Does he preach a 25-minute long sermon? No. Two words. What's he say? Follow me. Follow me. And again, here's what's profound. The compelling nature of Jesus, the very nature of his character and his personality is that Matthew does it. Luke tells us he leaves everything. He just gets up and goes with Jesus and throws a banquet for him on top of it all and brings all of his reprobate tax-collecting buddies to the party. It turns his life around. It turns his life around, and Jesus wants to celebrate it. He can see that this is not just some pro forma act on Matthew's part trying to impress Jesus. He sees that Matthew really has left the old life. He's really been changed, and Jesus is excited. He celebrates. Yeah, let's have a party and get all your buddies here. But once again, once again, we see how the world reacts to the prophetic nature of what Jesus does in seeking to bring the change that really is life. Once again, people are unhappy with Jesus. Why? Because he's violated the seven deadly words. You know what they are. We've never done it that way before, Jesus. We're not supposed to be nice to those guys. They're out. We threw them out. They chose their way. 
Don't be being nice to them. Don't associate with them. They get down on Jesus for celebrating that someone has been made new, and here's the irony, in a way they know they need to be made new. But if they get down on him, they know what? They don't have to change. If they can say, you can't do that. Matthew shouldn't have that happen. You shouldn't celebrate him. You're being codependent, Jesus. No, he's not. He's doing life-changing stuff, and they don't want their lives changed. Ironically, they want to know why Jesus and his disciples aren't playing by the old rules. Why aren't you playing by the old? Why aren't you doing exactly what we do and what we've been taught to do? Why aren't you playing by the way we understand it? And Jesus has a great response. What does he say? I am. I am playing by the rules, and you don't get it. I am here because people are sick. Why do we fast? Why would anybody fast? Because it's a ritual ceremony? No. You fast because you're sick and you need to get poison out of your system, spiritually and physically. Jesus says, I am here playing by the rules and you don't get it. I'm here because people are sick, because you are sick, and you want people to go on starving? No, I'm here to have a banquet. I'm here to be the host of the banquet. I am the bridegroom. See, Jesus knew they were the ones who needed to fast from their way of looking for hope. And so does our nation, and so does our world, and so do I. And I suspect you probably join me in that. Jesus knew what needed to be different in their lives. He knew that we'd been taking in a lot of junk food. Now, we've actually done some surveillance in your lives. I know it's, it's kind of snoopy, but we have checked, and all of you have been to In-N-Out Burger or McDonald's at some point in your life. It's on the record, okay? And that's the least of it, because the reality is the junk food that we partake of is so much more often emotional, psychological, spiritual. We entertain things that only poison us, that we really should be fasting from altogether so that we're free from them. They needed to fast. Now, we don't, we don't get many requests. Uh, Karen and I handle uh, conducting weddings here. Karen does the music, and, and I walk the, the people through them. And we just don't get very many requests for weddings anymore. Uh, a number of you have been married here. That's exciting. They, they were great, great times. But the fact of the matter is, Karen, I don't think we get asked twice a year for, to do a wedding. Because you know what? Weddings have become an industry. We even locked a bride in the sanctuary one time at a wedding, but Jennifer, I, I digress. <laughs> that was, ask Jennifer about that. That was a hoot. Not for her. Not for me in the moment, but it worked. But that was, that was a great wedding. We were on the lawn. We were celebrating. And uh, I'll just tell you, there's only one door in, in the church, and it's in the old church, that locks from the inside that you need to have a key to get out. And we forgot. And here's Jennifer trying to make her entrance, and she's locked in the church. <laughs> Did you know 
that the average cost for a wedding, depending on, on who you ask, it ranges. The average cost for a wedding in the United States is nearly $30,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and when we do get asked to do weddings, sadly, the bride and the groom are the center of attention, which is why we lock the, the bride in the sanctuary so she doesn't get to be the center of attention. No. The reality is, most of the time, when people want to get married in the world today, and I'm not, I'm not criticizing, I'm saying it's sad that they just don't know. Jesus isn't even on the guest list. He wasn't on the guest list that day in Capernaum either. The question for us then is whether we are willing to make Jesus the guest of honor in all of life. Not to lock him out, but to let him in. Because if we aren't ready for this, we aren't ready for the healing and the hope that only Jesus can give. And that's, that's the pure and simple gospel, my friends. And the more I talk to people out in culture, the more I realize people don't know that. And again, I'm not criticizing, but that's what this word says. If we don't know Jesus is the one who can heal us and make us whole, we don't know healing and wholeness. We do need to fast. And this is where we go from preaching to meddling. I know you don't want to fast. But we need to, we need to fast from media and culture and politics that try to make us think that whatever happens in November is going to either wreck or save us. Because you know what? It's not. It's not. Whatever happens in November is not going to wreck us, and it's not going to save us, because our hope is not in some human system. And we as the church, we as those who follow Jesus Christ, need to be the ones who testify to that. Amen? Yeah, yeah. Only Jesus can save us, but... If he is not our groom and we are not his bride, if we are not fasting from the stuff of this world, and if we are fasting from Jesus, we will die a long, slow death. And that's what's happening in our world. The world needs to feast on Jesus and fast from the stuff of the world. And the good news is that Jesus came to lead us out and unlock that door and get us out of where we're trapped. Jesus came to fill us up. He knows where the ketchup is, dudes. One commentator said that when Jesus is asked in this situation about why he eats with sinners and why his disciples don't fast, why he's not playing by their rules, his answer explains what is really happening when a person receives the message of Jesus. The message which seems to be so destructive of the traditional Jewish and, I would say, our American way of looking for hope. Something comes about which makes Pharisaic and our personal ideas of holiness and rightness, rightness that comes from not being like those people, or, or by our rigorous fasting from their ways, quite irrelevant. See, when Jesus comes... He sets the table and shows us what really matters. The effect of, <coughs> of Jesus' word heals in two ways. First, when Jesus speaks to us, it's a cure. And second, it's a change. And they, they run hand in hand. 
We can't be healed if we're not changed. Jesus comes to affect the cure for our lives by being the groom who escorts us out of our old way of living and thinking. But he does so by calling us to see what we really need. When Jesus starts talking about fabric and wineskins, he's talking about realizing how God's grace calls us to be flexible people who can expand to receive who Jesus truly is for our condition. He does not abolish the old way. He fulfills the old way. We need to stretch in order to make room for Jesus. We need to fast from the old in order to make room for the new. And that's some serious work. We need to be willing to let it happen. We need to be willing to say, okay, Jesus, come in and and do your work in my life. As Jesus says this, we can think of ourselves where there is a part of us that wants just a part of Jesus. Because, as someone has said, because we, we feel the need for a stitch, to stitch some new fabric on a place in our lives where things have become a little bit thin. You know, there's an old poem that says, I'd like $2 worth of God, please. Not enough to change me, just enough to make me feel good for the moment, like an antacid. And that's what Jesus is talking about, trying to just slap something on. In our world, there is a subtle act of wanting to tear a little piece of Jesus and slap it onto the old and continue with business as usual, and Jesus will have nothing of it. And that's where the Pharisees are, and that's where we can too easily be. But Jesus says, you know what? You know this won't work. You know this won't work. That's why he's so practical. No one tears a piece from a new garment and sews it on an old garment. Otherwise, the new will be torn and the piece from the new will not match the old. Think about it. You buy a new shirt, a new dress, a new pair of pants, you don't go cut a hunk out of them and slap it on your old shirt or pants or dress. And Jesus says very practically it won't match anyway. Who would do that? It's very practical with us. He says that we we know this won't work in a very material sense. And we know if it won't work in a material sense, on a very practical level, we know spiritually it won't work. He says, so don't try to pretend that you can just slap a little piece of God on your life and call it good. If, if, if you can't make it work physically, you know it won't work spiritually. He, he says it won't match. Now, the word for match is really an interesting word. It's the, the Greek word symphoneo, symphoneo, from which we get symphony. It won't match. It means literally it won't fit together. If we are trying to patch our lives with a little bit of Jesus, it won't work. There will be no real change, no healing. We won't be following Jesus as he called Matthew to do. As he said, leave your entire way of being, Matthew, Bruce, fill in your name. If you don't, your life will be torn apart. Your work will be torn apart. Your future will be torn apart. Your marriage will be torn apart. Your business. Jesus was very clear. You can't serve two masters. We fit 
symphonically. We fit symphonically together as the body. That's what Darren was talking about. Feeling like being a part of the body of Christ. When we are letting Jesus be the symphony leader, the conductor, who pulls us together for his glory and on his terms, we are his bride. He is the one we wait upon and serve because it is in him we find our life. He chooses the music. We play it his way. Some of you know I play in the community band. I, I play with a lot of great musicians. It's great. They cover up all my mistakes. It's a mark of God's grace. But we play for Dick Dady. He's our conductor. He chooses the music. He may sometimes say, what would you like to play? But then he leads it. And Jesus does what that. He, he says, I am going to show you how to make great music. You all play your part, but you play for me. Our, how are we doing this? Are we getting ready for this? Are we, how are we celebrating? Are we, playing, are we letting this instrument be tuned to God's way? He says we're to be a new vessel. What's that new vessel in your life? Might, might be a new way of thinking. Might be a new way of acting. Might be participating in building a walkway. Might be working at the coffee cart. Might be going next door to talk to your neighbor about Jesus Christ. It might be showing some kindness and compassion that shows people who Jesus is. Might be a new devotion to his word rather than to the world. See, the, the world around us is old and tearing, and it's tearing apart and trying to get us to do things the old way, the human way, and it's time to let God's Holy Spirit make us into a new shape that can contain, that can contain the fullness of who Jesus Christ is. We can't pour the message of the gospel, and God can't pour the message of the gospel into our li old lives. You know what will happen? They'll blow up. It'll be a heck of a mess. Ketchup all over the place. Wine spilled all over the place. Seriously, when God pours his gospel into us, things expand, our lives expand, and we need to be a new vessel in order to stretch and contain them. So we have to put that new wine into new wineskins and the power of the gospel into lives that will stretch to accept how much we need to be changed. We do, all the time. Jesus makes it clear that if we only drink old wine, you know what will happen? We'll get what they call shop palate, and we'll go, oh, that's good enough. I like that. That's just the way it is. The old way of living will be something we'll, that will never give way to a chance for the new life. When Jesus says, if you've tasted the old wine and that's all you want to drink, you'll never even try the new wine. Oh, my friends. Oh, my friends. There are so many of us who are missing the life that really is life because we think the old way is good enough, safe enough, that we can't risk a new way. But the reality is that Jesus Christ died and rose again to pour himself into us in the power of his Holy Spirit to give us a new life that is exceedingly abundant, more than we could ever ask or think. So much so that the thing we thought we needed so desperately gets lost behind the abundance of what God wants to give us. The heck with the french fries, dudes. Take the pizza. 
You know, that's just it. In our world, we need to be the ones showing that the new life in Jesus Christ is not only possible, but it is essential. German theologian Helmut Thielicke has said, the gospel must be preached afresh and told in new ways in every generation. Not because it changes, but because our generation changes and needs to hear it from us in fresh ways. Since every generation has its own unique questions, the gospel must constantly be forwarded to a new address because the recipient is repeatedly changing his place of residence. Isn't that our world? The world is changing all the time, but we have a constant message that we need to take to them, and it's time for us to do that by doing one thing, getting hitched to Jesus, getting married to Jesus Christ. It's time for new clothes, new wine, new wineskins, and this all comes down to living into following Jesus in everything we are about. It means modeling this life for those around us. It means discovering in every day in new ways what it means to trust him and give him everything we are. It means taking risks of leaving behind old ways of thinking and acting so that we can know what it really means to walk down the aisle with Jesus. Dare we say, I do? Let's try that. I do. Let me ask you, dare we do more than throw a patch on life? Dare we drink deeply the new wine of Jesus Christ and become new skins stretched to show his amazing, transforming love to the world? Here's the bigger question. Dare we not? Dare we not? Let us live Not as those who starve without hope, but as those who live lives that joyfully say, here comes the groom. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you have hold of us, and more than that, you have embraced us and made us your own. And I pray that if there's anyone here today that does not know that and has never said, I do to you, they would seek someone out today that would enable them to know what it means to say I do to you today and tomorrow. Lord, we want to be your bride. We want to be at your complete disposal. We want to give our lives so that you can give us more than we could ever have imagined. Let that happen now today for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand up. Let's stand up, and once again, not rotely, but with a conviction that God has given himself for us, realizing that when we say we're part of that holy Catholic church, we're saying the church universal. Let's say this together. Let's live it. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. 
From thence ye shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. May it be one that we sing all week long and every day of the rest of our lives. Fill my cup, Lord. Take the words home with you. in our being there. Because Jesus Christ indwells us, he has something he wants to do through us where we are. May we believe it and go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the communion and the fellowship and the equipping power of God's Holy Spirit every single step of the way. <laughs> 